Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com. Thank you for joining Community IT for this podcast, part one. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits. Listen for part two in your podcast feed. Welcome, everyone, to the Community IT Innovators um, Q&A webinar on cyber insurance for nonprofits with Jenna Kirkpatrick-Howard from Lockton Companies and Matt Eshelman, the CTO and cybersecurity expert from Community IT. We're going to talk about how this type of insurance works, why nonprofits need it, what your nonprofit is going to be asked to show that you are doing in your cybersecurity policies and practices, and uh, the event that you might ever need to make a claim. So I just want to say at the outset that when it comes to insurance, we can't make any recommendations really, but we, um, you know, on specific policies and specific amounts. I know that's not totally helpful to hear in a webinar. Um, You'll need to speak with your own broker, but we're aiming today to give you familiarity with the issue use, the lingo, the language that we use, and an understanding of large changes that are ongoing around cybersecurity and insurance. Um, I know this is a topic that can scare a lot of nonprofit um, folks, both cybersecurity and insurance. Um, so uh, we really appreciate you uh, being here with us today and uh, take a deep breath. You're in the right place um, and we're going to get to it. Uh, also, I want to remind everyone that we're vendor agnostic. So we're just talking about this uh, generally today. So our learning objectives are to, at the end of this session, you should be able to describe cyber insurance for nonprofits, uh, including the landscape and history of this type of insurance and the upcoming trends that we expect. Um, You should be able to understand the challenges nonprofits face with cyber insurance and describe some actions nonprofits can take and where to learn about available resources. So I'll introduce myself. My name is Carolyn Woodard. I am the Marketing Director and Outreach Director at Community IT. I'll be monitoring the Q&A and chat and helping with the presentation. So uh, next, I'd like to introduce Matt. Thanks, Carolyn. Uh, It's great to be here on the webinar today. Uh, In my role as Chief Technology Officer, I get to work with a lot of nonprofit organizations on uh, implementing their cybersecurity solutions and also helping them fill out their cyber liability insurance applications. So this is uh, a webinar that I'm actually looking forward to uh, to get content from as well, uh, as this is a really uh, relevant topic for uh, for the clients that we're working with. So um, happy to be here today. Great. And before we begin, if you're not familiar with Community IT, just a little bit about us. We're a 100% employee-owned managed service provider. So we provide outsourced IT support and we work exclusively with nonprofit organizations. Our mission is to help nonprofits accomplish their missions through the effective use of technology. We serve nonprofits across the United States, and we've been doing this for over 20 years. We are technology experts, and we are consistently given the MSP 501 recognition for being a top MSP, which is an honor we received again in 2022. So it's my great pleasure now to welcome Jenna Kirkpatrick-Howard, who is our guest speaker and a cyber insurance expert. Jenna. Thank you. Thanks for having me. As 
as Carolyn mentioned, Jennifer Patrick Howard. I work with Lockton Companies. I've been with Lockton for 11 years. I represent clients, typically nonprofits, but also some other real estate and construction clients. And I help clients understand how much insurance they should buy, what types of insurance they should buy, understanding their risk profile and, and how to manage risk for an organization to not only protect your balance sheet, but also to serve your mission. And nonprofits um, are one of my favorite organizations to work with because it is so focused on mission-driven. And I do understand that every dollar spent on premium is a challenge because that's $1 less serve um, on mission. So want to be very practical in the advice we give and um, understand and educate what's happening in the insurance market, where we're seeing claims. And that's what we're going to talk about today around the cyber insurance world. Great. Well, let's start off with a poll. Uh, the audience, you've learned a lot about us today. Uh, so now it's our turn to get a chance to ask you some questions. And so let's uh, start off with uh, with something that should should be right up everyone's alley. Does your nonprofit have uh, cyber liability insurance? So yes, absolutely. Uh, I have no idea. You're in the right place. Uh, we want to get cyber insurance, but we've told uh, need it, or maybe uh, you say it's not applicable to you. So uh, we'll leave this open for just another few seconds. Go ahead and um, chat in. But I think uh, regardless of where you're at on the spectrum, uh, I think you'll find some some really good content and resources uh, that we'll present here today. So so I'll go ahead and uh, thanks for those that have responded. We'll go ahead and uh, end this and share the results. Um, so I think of the respondents, uh, so a little over half say yes, they already have it. So that's fantastic. Uh, with about a third of those folks saying, hey, we want to get it. Um, we were, you know, we were told we should get it. You know, what do we do? So uh, and then a couple other folks are no idea or not applicable. So uh, we'll see if those uh, how those numbers change, maybe. Uh, over the course of the webinar. So great. Well, Jen, you want to talk a little bit about the kind of the threat landscape that's out there from your perspective? Sure. So this slide is not meant to scare you, but this is information shared. And this is not not-for-profit specific. This is across the US. It's FBI data, but it talks about the cost of a data breach, the size of records that are breached, how long it takes to uh, recover and identify that the breach is even happening. Um, and what the causes are, how long it takes a hacker. This slide is useful because it really just says the threat's real. The threat's real regardless of size. At, when we started talking about cyber insurance, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, we were mostly talking about it with healthcare organizations or financial institutions or retailers because it was really industry specific. And now we see that we have claims and Every size business, every industry class, um, it, it is truly a threat that transcends all sizes and, and missions. And unfortunately, we do see it in the not-for-profit space. So I want to talk a little bit about the groundwork. I know many of you already have cyber insurance coverage, but I'm going to demystify a little bit about what's in the policy itself. And I will try not to be insurance lingo heavy, but there's two sides to an insurance policy, a cyber insurance policy. First party coverage, which means money that you will incur as the organization that suffered the cyber breach or ransomware attack or phishing uh, emails that this is the cost to reimburse you for the costs resulting from the event. And then there's third-party coverage, which is 
a cost to defend in case there was a lawsuit or damages that you owe to a third party because of the event. So the two sides of the policy, the first we're going to start with is that first party. These are your costs. It's the breach response, any legal fees you would acquire, forensic costs. If you have to pay a cyber extortion or that ransom payment, that is a first party coverage. Any income you might lose with the system being down, if you were, if you have a, a donor link or you were in the middle of a fundraising effort and the system is down, if you could quantify the business interruption cost, that's built into the insurance program or available on the insurance. Any data re, uh, restoration, cost to restore. So all these things, if you're thinking through all the things that your organization might need to pay for, if there was a data breach or ransomware attack, think of that covered under the cyber insurance as first-party coverage. And there's different limits that you can buy for first-party coverage, but it is available on on cyber insurance programs. Third-party means if there is a privacy liability, if there's regulatory fines, if there's security requirements and payments, if you were sued by a group of customers or donors or um, any sort of outside organization that you have then liability and settlements and and that sort of thing. So there is third party. We actually see in cyber insurance, there are less third party claims than there are first party. The majority of cyber claims the amounts incurred are usually your first party. It's far more common. So everybody tends to ask me, does this apply to my organization and what are the potential events that could occur? So we have at the very top of the list, those phishing emails. They come all the time. I get them almost daily. I'm sure you do too. You may even have uh, phishing training for employees where you Poach, you, you send out some potential phishing to see who would, um, who would potentially hit the link or report it to the organization. The intent is to trick an employee into um, clicking a link that brings in and spreads malware or a payment is sent to a vendor to a wrong bank account. Those are sort of the phishing claims we do see. And there are there is some coverage for that. There's a forensics investigation in the response. Ransomware is the one you're seeing all over the news today um, and has been a major driver of claims over the last few years. And this is where a nonprofit were to fall victim to a ransomware attack. The entire system is down and then you get an email and then you get notice that there is a demand for a ransom payment. And the insurance policy will actually pay the ransom amount as part of the payment, as well as forensic investigation, any business interruption and extra expenses. Now, it's not always determined that the best course of action is to pay the ransom. If there are um, access to backups or you have the ability to get your system back up and running. So not every ransomware attack results in a ransom payment, but that is um, one option in terms of um, response to that type of claim. There's also dependent outage We see this a lot around payroll providers, cloud providers, security providers. They fall victim to a breach or a ransomware event, and you don't have um, systems access because you're dependent on them. So that is a fairly common um, claim scenario that we do see. 
prior to ransomware, the number one claim driver was human error. It was the laptop left at the airport or in the rental car or left at the coffee shop or they didn't actually reboot and something shuts down. The human error element is a large driver of claims. Um, The recommendation here, and you'll see it further, is employee training around each of these things and how they can be diligent about how they manage um, their computers and software and access is really important. We'll get to that. And there's some other things that you see here, stolen funds, unauthorized disclosure, and unsolicited communication. Less common claim scenarios, but certainly scenarios that we have seen. Matt, do you get a lot of questions around these scenarios as well? Yeah, I think we get questions about, you know, is this covered? Is this not covered? And I think there's also a misconception around, well, I already have, you know, general business liability insurance. Like, isn't isn't cyber just kind of covered uh, under under that, you know, existing policy? And so I think it's helpful for organizations to understand kind of those distinctions and then also, yeah, ask these questions or kind of go down the scenarios so that whatever assumptions they have, like, what what happens in this case? Like, if my computer is stolen, is that a, you know, is that a, a cover under cyber or would that be covered under, you know, general liability is helpful just to make it feel a little bit more real. And so organizations can can kind of walk through those different scenarios to help understand, uh, yeah, what am I actually paying for? You know, what is this going to mean, you know, for me, practically speaking? So we do see that 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 question comes up a lot. I have a stolen laptop. Where's this covered? Well, it's a piece of property. So property insurance response, because it's part of your business personal property. But the question is, did this lead to a cyber event? Was there a breach of data? Was there access to the system? There's also this concept of bricking that is covered under some cyber policies, meaning there has been malware put on a laptop or a computer that has rendered that computer to serve no other purpose than a brick. And so bricking is is an insuring agreement that is potentially covered under a cyber policy. I don't want to spend too much time in the scare tactics around ransomware, but it is something that we're seeing quite a bit of. So I do want to include the typical three-step process that we see around ransomware. We see that there's a compromise of a system and then there's a deployment and then there's an extortion. Oftentimes they start, the, the, the hacker will start with the backups and you won't necessarily know that the backups have been attacked first. And then when your system goes down and you receive the extortion demand, you're like, well, I can go access my backups. And then you go to the backups and the backups were also taken down. So that is a tactic that we've seen over and over again. I would say if we were doing this webinar in 2019, we would have seen that the ransom demands were in the $50,000, $100,000, $250,000 range. Ransom demands are significantly higher today. And oftentimes, if the hacker has been in your system and have, and you have a cyber insurance policy saved on your system, they could actually access the policy and see what your limits are. And so strangely enough, we see some extortion demands to be equal to the amount of insurance you purchase. So a couple side recommendations is have your cyber insurance policy saved someplace special um, and have a printed copy of if there were an event and your systems are rendered useless, 
that you know who to call because we've had scenarios where we had sort of a ransomware playbook or a cyber attack playbook and, we, and our clients knew who to call and how to call our phone numbers. And that was all saved on their share drive. That was all saved in their share file. And they didn't have access to it when the event happened. So they didn't, they didn't have a paper copy. So maybe going back to paper for one or two things is a good suggestion. Just a few snippets here about ransomware because it's a hot topic of conversation. We do see it some in the not-for-profit space, um, but more in, in some of the bigger names that you see on TV. Yeah, and I would just say, I think um, before we uh, do the the poll here, just to, to note that I think for all of this, it's you know, I think reinforces the fact that a lot of the cybercrime it's financial driven. It's a it's a criminal enterprise. It's a money making venture. You know, the organization doesn't necessarily you know care about you or your great mission. Uh, you to some extent just represent a financial target, um, and every nonprofit you know has some resources, and so uh, I think that's why you know the drivers for both the ransomware and then also the spear phishing and, and kind of wire fraud uh, really become uh, you know it helps I think to put that into context to just understand it's 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 just about the money. Um, great. So let's uh, take another uh, poll here. Uh, who deals with uh, cyber insurance at your nonprofit? And we'll leave that up for uh, a moment or two. Um, also take some time just to encourage folks, please feel free to use um, the Q&A feature. Uh, we've got Carolyn moderating uh, that and we'll have some time at the end. Uh, or if there's some pertinent things, we'll ask some questions uh, as we go along. So uh, so let's leave it open here for another moment. So it's either uh, maybe you, uh, CFO, executive director, not sure, or if you've maybe outsourced um, outsourced that. So uh, looks like in terms of the results, we've got uh, so 55% of the people in attendance they deal with cyber liability insurance. So uh, good to have the right the right folks in the room. Uh, about 11% have their CFO deal with it. 11% executive director, another 11% uh, kind of don't know, or uh, and then about another 13% saying that their uh, IT director or outsourced IT provider is also dealing with um, cyber liability insurance. Great. So from the polls, we have some of the buyers of insurance, and we actually have a good portion of you that actually already purchased cyber insurance for your organization. So that probably leads to the question of, why do the prices keep changing? Why has it gotten so expensive? And because it's gotten so expensive, what limit should I really purchase? Common questions, we see it all the time. And I will say the cyber market in particular has been a major area of disruption over the last two years. Being last summer was really the, the biggest uh, transition time. So this is from Locked In Data. And it shows us that in the first quarter of 2019, of the cyber insurance renewals from our client base, which, which is quite, quite large here in the U.S., the ranges that we were seeing is some clients were getting on the low end an 8% reduction year-over-year year premium, and some were getting a 6% increase in renewal. This indicates a very stable market, very stable. That for the large part, cyber insurance renewals were coming in similar pricing year-over-year. And then you see by second quarter of 2021, on the low end, clients were receiving a 9% increase year over year. On the high end, it was 67. A 67% year over year premium increase is significant for any client. And that's a large jump. 
And then you see by third quarter, we were seeing 150, 130, 150 for the next two quarters. And even on the low end, a 28% or a 51% year over year increase. So this is the time where many clients were questioning, can I afford cyber coverage? Should I even maintain it? Is it worth it? Should I cut my limits? Um, should I lower my limits because of the cost increase? And we were still seeing at the start of this year, you'll see April 2022 data, that these were holding strong. Now, I will say anecdotally, we haven't sent, we haven't released our next quarter results. We are seeing some stabilization. I am not seeing, unless there are controls, uh, concerns, and we'll get to what that, that means in just a few minutes, we're not seeing the 150% year-over-year increases as much as we once were. We're seeing more in the lower end, the 30 to 50% year-over-year increases. So I will not say this market has entered a soft market, but we are seeing some stabilization um, in pricing. This is largely due to the start of ransomware, that for the most part, cyber insurance markets were pretty successful and they weren't having as many claims payment as they were receiving premiums. So they were profitable. And then in 2021, when the ransom payments started, when, the, when there were major, major ransomware events, that they there were not enough premium for the loss amounts they were paying. And so that's why we see a large fluctuation over the last few years. So the underwriters have taken a couple steps. Not only is this premium piece at play that, that they're looking for large increases year over year, they're also very, very, very focused on controls. So at one time, if you've been purchasing cyber insurance for a while, you likely saw a two-page questionnaire that asked a little bit about how many records you had and your address and maybe some revenue information, and that was it. If you have filled out a cyber insurance application in the last few months, they have gotten 10 pages long and there's maybe a supplemental for ransomware and they're going to dig in and ask money more questions. So, Matt, since you had the luxury of filling out so many applications and helping fill out these applications, what are you seeing the critical areas in the applications that they're focused on? Yeah, I mean, I think going back to the the previous slide and seeing the the price increases, I mean, aligns. Yeah, I mean, one hundred percent with with our experience. You know, twenty nineteen. Yeah, you could get a two page application, put down any answer you want. You got a really affordable rate, and you were covered, and and kind of you could move on. Um, but this year, yeah, I mean, that's been exactly our experience. Is you know, multi page applications. If organizations aren't able to say that they meet the requirement for multi-factor authentication for, for all systems, if they don't have policies in place, if they don't have disconnected third-party backups of their data, uh, you know, they're either you know not getting you know coverage or they will you know maybe have a, a month or so to to kind of prove that they've implemented that control. And so it really does, I think this has been really helpful for me to see. Uh, you know, from the insurance perspective, kind of what's happening to impact the the IT policy controls. And so I think, you know, where, yes, two or three years ago, you know, we've been preaching MFA for for a long time now. uh, And where once it would be like, hey, you really should have this. Now we're seeing the cyber liability insurance policies say, hey, if you don't have this implemented, you're not going to get coverage at all. 
Uh, and so that's, I think, prompting a lot of the organizations that we work with to, you know, to maybe implement some of those long deferred cybersecurity uh, projects because now, uh, you know, they're faced with significant cost increases or maybe not even getting coverage at all um, to implement some of those core controls. And so, again, as you've got here, you know, multi-factor authentication uh, is, is a requirement, that third-party backup. Uh, in a disconnected system. Again, as you identified, you know, the bad guys are in your network. Uh, and so uh, you want to make sure that data is disconnected in somewhere else uh, so that you can recover. Uh, and then also making sure that policies are in place to help guide those decisions and, you know, get ready for the, the next round of controls that are going to be uh, asked for in, in next year's application. Yeah, I will say that the applications are changing on a quarterly basis. Every time there's the next event, so it started with SolarWinds, that that, that was probably the major first change mm -hmm. in the cyber applications. Did you have any exposure to SolarWinds? Then it was Microsoft <laughs> Exchange. So each time there's a big event, there tends to be more questions around what was the potential cause of that event and did you have any exposure to it? What we have found is the most recent control is training. Every insurer wants to see that you are doing employee training because that human error element is still at play. So training has become beyond the you have multi-factor authentication is absolutely required. It's basically you're not insurable unless there's MFA and then the backup pieces and, and policies and procedures. So currently the carriers are really focused on training. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple areas where we're seeing training required. It's educating leadership teams on what to do in the event and if, a, if an event were to occur. Do you know who to call? Do you know who the vendors are? Do you know how to report it? Um, so there's an education on what to do if. And that can be solved in a tabletop conversation within your organization, bringing Matt in to have some of those discussions. It's also employee education around not to click links and open attachments and, and providing training and potentially your own phishing um, internal uh, governance plans and building a culture that it's important to report if you clicked on that link. So the first thing that employees do when they click the link is, oh no, and they, they don't want to tell anyone. Well, there needs to be a culture of I did this and I need you to help me. I need you to investigate. And so there needs to be employee education around. It's a culture that supports good governance and reporting and um, make sure it's good cyber hygiene that it's done on a really regular basis. Underwriters will certainly ask on an annual basis about training, but they get even more excited if you do it more than just annually. Thank you for joining Community IT for this podcast, part one. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits. Listen for part two in your podcast feed. Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community, and we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website, www.communityit.com, so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment. Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders, and you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.